Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found that there was nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what is done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, Go, throw yourself in the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? Jesus replies, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from human origin? They discussed it amongst themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people for they, told, for they hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyards. Oh, not, he answered, but then later changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe them. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, he dug a wine press in it and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers, moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants, they beat one, killed another and stoned a third. Then he sent the other servants to them. More than the first time, and the tenants treated them in the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw out the vineyard, threw him out in the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to his tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to the other tenants who will give him the share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures 
The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people who produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone whom it falls will be crushed. And then the chief priests and Pharisees heard Jesus' parable. They knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds because of the people held that he was a prophet. Thanks, Mike. Well, uh, keep your Bibles open, your phones open. If you haven't got one open, uh, just quickly whip out your phone and look up Matthew 21, 18. Uh, you need them there. Uh, now, we will have a Q&A after this. So as we go along, uh, if you've got any questions that you'd like to wrestle with, uh, you'll actually find there's two ways you can ask your question. You can either wait and put up your hand uh, during Q&A or uh, there's a text line. Uh, you can see the phone number on your handout. Uh, if you can get reception in here, you can send through a text and we'll see if we can get through all of those. Well, uh, let's pray and ask God's help. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for what we've just read. And Lord, we pray you'll help us uh, to see how it all fits together and to see how it points to the goodness of the gospel, that Jesus is the King, that he is the one in whom is salvation. And Lord, we pray that in us this morning, you will grow our faith and our love for you, that it would result in praise. Amen. Well, I'm going to play, we're going to play a quick little game. Uh, I call it What's the Thread? Uh, so if we can just have that first slide. Thanks, Zach. Next one. What you've got to do, you've got to guess the common thread. Now, sorry, our formatting's gone out a bit here. Uh, what's the common thread? Chocolate, tobacco, tannin, and cherry. What kind of connects all those words? Who wants to have a guess? Hands. Chocolate, tobacco, tannins, and cherry. Yes, Debbie. They all have double, uh, one letter in each of those words is a double. Ooh, except chocolate. Yeah, no, C and C. Ah, oh, I gotcha. Okay, I got you saying. Yeah, no, so it's not that. Anyone else brave enough to have a go? I might have made these too hard. Yes. All plant-based. Good try. No, I'll tell you what it is. It's actually really common descriptors for flavours in wines. You know? I don't even drink wine, but, you know, I, I somehow knew that. Uh, all right, next one. Thanks, Zach. What's the thread? Ice, doctor, puff, and lil. Now, you're showing your generation here, Sam. Yep. Yes, it's the first part of rapper names. Ice Cube, Ice T, Dr. Dre, what was it? Puff Daddy and Lil, I don't know, there's a whole bunch of Lil's, I don't care about them. I don't like rap. All right, next one. Uh, what's the thread here? Oh, this one's tricky. I think it might be some of the older people might get this one. Brain, heart, courage, and home. Oh, Sam's going against Scott. Yes, they're all things that someone is searching for in the Wizard of Oz. Okay, now last one, here we go. Uh, we've got... Uh, oh, I can't even see that from down here. Fruit tree, a mountain, an insect-eating prophet, a pair of contrary sons, some priests, murderous share farmers, a block of masonry, and Jesus. 
<laughs> they're in the Bible. They're all in the passage that we're looking at today. Now, uh, that was a bit of fun. See, I, these, these different things, all the fruit tree, the mountain, the share farmers, the priests and Jesus, and they kind of seem disconnected at first glance. They seem a bit random, but actually... I want to help us see this morning, there's a really strong common thread here, and they're all telling us the same thing, and we'll see that on that next slide. Thank you very much. They're all saying that faithless Israel, who rejected Jesus, will be destroyed and replaced by people who will repent and believe. Faithless Israel, who rejected Jesus, will be destroyed and replaced by people who will Repent and believe him as Lord and Saviour. Well, let's, let me show you. You will have your outlines there in your handouts. Uh, now, fair warning, just so we don't get to the end of the first one and you think we're going on forever. The first one is longer, second one's a bit shorter, and the third one's shorter again, uh, so that you can pace ourselves there. The fig tree and the mountain, judgment on Israel. Have a look at verse 18. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the fig tree withered. Now, uh, who's ever looked at this before and thought, oh, it looks like Jesus is having a bit of a hissy fit. <laughs> uh, some people do wrongly assume that. Um, and uh, often people point to Mark's record in the Gospel of Mark, who records this same event, where Mark actually goes a little bit further and points out, actually, it's not even fig season uh, when this happens. And so in some people's minds, this is kind of a fickle and foolish Jesus uh, who walks up to a tree and has an unreasonable tantrum when this poor tree couldn't have ever been expected to have fruit in the first place. I mean, it wasn't the tree's fault. Jesus just having a bad day and feeling a bit hangry, perhaps. Uh, but that's not at all what's going on here. See, Jesus is being anything but fickle and foolish. He's actually being very, very careful and deliberate and specifically teaching a truth about the kingdom of God in a powerful way that the disciples aren't going to forget in a hurry. See, Matthew, as he writes the gospel, all along the way, we've seen that Matthew is constantly showing us how every single thing that Jesus does and says, and even the things that happen around Jesus and people do to Jesus, every single part of Jesus' life is directly related to and must be understood in light of the Old Testament promises that God's prophets had made before Jesus was born. All of what Jesus says and does must be seen against the backdrop of God's promises in the Old Testament. And when we understand this Old Testament background, we see actually that the fig tree has a particular significance in the people of Israel. In the Old Testament, the fig tree was a symbol of the nation of Israel. And when Israel had been sinful and rejected God, they'd been faithless and they were being punished for refusing to repent and believe his promises or listen to his prophets, we see that one of the punishments would be that their fig trees would wither and they would have no fruit. 
Uh, one example here is uh, in the, the book of Micah. That God sent the prophet Micah with a message for Jerusalem, the very city, the capital that Jesus is walking towards this morning. Have a listen to this from Micah 6. Hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. It talks about the, the mountains that are around Jerusalem, the mountain that Jesus is standing on at this moment. Everlasting foundations. Listen, the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. The Lord is calling to the city. I have begun to destroy you, says the Lord, to ruin you because of your sins. What misery is mine, God says. I'm like someone who gathers summer fruit. I go to glean the vineyard, but there's no cluster of grapes to eat. I go to the fig tree, but there are none of the early figs that I crave. The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. See, God wasn't saying he was hungry. and He sort of came down to earth to have a look in their, their orchards. Now, God was saying that actually he looked at Israel for faithfulness, for righteousness, for belief, for trust in him and his promises, for repentance. And there was no fruit of it, none at all. So when we see that Old Testament background, we understand Jesus isn't having a hissy fit at a tree because he's hungry. Jesus is making a very, very big statement about the nation of Israel and the state of its faith, which is non-existent. Jesus is saying that just like back in Micah's day, Israel as a nation, doesn't mean there's not a single person who trusts God, but Israel as a nation in Jesus' day had turned from God. They refused to repent and believe. And Jesus was showing by cursing this tree and causing this tree to shrivel up and wither, he was showing the judgment that the prophets had promised would come upon God's people if they chose to resist and reject him. And notice, it'll be pretty quick. Have a look at verse 20. The disciples are amazed, not, not that it withered, they're amazed how quickly it withered. And Jesus takes them even deeper into the promises of God's judgment. Now, if you've got a Bible, I'd like you to uh, invite you to turn to the book of Zechariah. Uh, so Zechariah is uh, a bit earlier. Uh, but keep your finger in Matthew. Sorry, I got a little bit ahead of myself uh, before you get to Zechariah. Matthew, uh, stay, stay, stay in Matthew. Uh, verse 21. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now most uh, novice or inattentive readers uh, misunderstand the point Jesus is making here completely. And I've uh, for many years, had misunderstood what Jesus was saying here. Uh, often the thinking goes something like this. We think, okay, what's Jesus said? Okay, if I have faith and I don't doubt, okay, 
not only can I curse trees, but I could go and walk up to a mountain and tell it to go jump into the ocean. And Jesus said, anything I pray for, I'll get, as long as I believe for it. As long as I don't doubt it, I'll get it. But notice if we read carefully, Jesus doesn't say any mountain, does he? He says this mountain. Well, what mountain is that? I've got a little map to help us. Thanks, Zach. Uh, so this is the city of Jer Jerusalem. Uh, on the next slide, you can see I've just sort of highlighted there's the temple. Uh, and you might not know this, but uh, the city of Jerusalem is built on a mount. So that the walls of the city kind of trace around the edge of the mount. Uh, it's Mount Zion. Uh, in the scriptures. Uh, and right next to Jerusalem on the east is a valley, uh, which is the Valley of Kidron, and it's flanked by a slightly higher mountain, that one in blue. It's called the Mount of Olives. And this is the road uh, Jesus would have taken that very morning to get from Bethany to Jerusalem. Well, uh, maybe it's disappeared in the formatting. I'll tell you what, I'm going to go point it out. Sorry if you couldn't see that, but see that road kind of in the middle? Yeah, oh, legend, Zach. Look at this. Yeah, how good is our AV team? Woo! Praise God for our AV team every Sunday. Um, yeah, so actually the, the road that Jesus took that morning to get to Jerusalem took him right over the Mount of Olives. And so where is Jesus standing when he says this and he curses this fig tree? He's standing on the Mount of Olives. Now, this is significant because just like the fig tree, Jesus isn't just going around and cursing and destroying random things and, and random mountains. Actually, he's picking up another symbol from the Old Testament. If you've got your Bible now, yep, sorry, I'm here now. Turn to Zechariah 14 in the Old Testament. So Zechariah, it's, it's in the prophets, it's near the end of the Old Testament, so it's not a long way before Matthew. Zechariah chapter 14. Now, as you're turning there, hundreds of years earlier, Zechariah had prophesied about the judgment day, the time at the end of world history when God would come and he would destroy his enemies and establish his eternal kingdom. And God had promised that on that day, he would even fight against the faithless nation of Israel. He would come to Jerusalem and besiege it and fight against it. And then he would destroy the unbelieving nations. And then he would move this mountain. Have a listen. Zechariah 14 and verse 1. A day of the Lord is coming, Jerusalem, when your possessions will be plundered and divided up within your very walls. Verse 4. On that day, his, the Lord's feet, will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, with half the mountain moving north and the other half moving south. You'll flee by my mountain valley. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. He'll come and he'll set up his home in the city of Jerusalem. Verse 8, on that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it east to the Dead Sea and half of it over the west to the Mediterranean Sea in summer and winter. Verse 9, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day there will be one Lord and his name the only name. And then listen to this. 
and around Jerusalem, the whole land from Geba to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem, will become like the Arabah, like the flats, like the plains, like the desert. But Jerusalem will be raised up high from the Benjamin Gate to the First Gate to the Corner Gate to the Tower. Jerusalem will be inhabited. Never again will it be destroyed. Jerusalem will be, dis- be secure. See, God is, has promised that that mountain, that very mountain that Jesus is standing on and saying to his disciples, if you tell this mountain to go jump into the sea, I'm telling you it will. How does Jesus know it will? God's already said it will. He said this mountain on the day that the Lord comes to judge will be flattened out and disappear forever. Actually, all the land around Jerusalem will be flat forever and then the Mount of Jerusalem will will grow and rise up high and be established as the only mountain left. Jesus isn't just saying, hey guys, you can just go around and shrink mountains and you know squash trees and he's not saying you can just do some random stuff Jesus is pointing them to the promises of God which just like the fig tree remind us that God's judgment will also come against the nation of Israel that God will punish Israel and destroy, and did you notice the valley and they flee out of Jerusalem? Why are people fleeing out of Jerusalem? Why are Israelites fleeing out of Jerusalem when their God comes? Well, it's those faithless Israelites who have rejected him, who are going to be destroyed when he gets there, and they need to get out as quick as they can. And then what will happen? When everything is a plain around Jerusalem... Verse 16, Zechariah 14. Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles. This is good news for us who are from the nations. There's a chance, an opportunity, a possibility, a promise that the survivors of the nations will be able to go in and worship where the unfaithful of Israel can no more. So when Jesus tells the disciples in verse 21 and tells us, if you have faith and do not doubt, you can say to this mountain, throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. He's not saying go pray for a random thing. He's saying pray for this thing. Because when you pray for this mountain to throw itself into the sea, you are praying for my kingdom to come. You are praying for God's will to be done on earth as in heaven. You are praying for the kingdom of God to be established in all the earth and all wickedness done away with and the very good end that God has promised through his prophets. See, Jesus' faith is completely rooted in God's promises that he has revealed in the scriptures. Everything Jesus said and did was completely rooted in what God had said in the scriptures that he was doing, that his Christ, his Messiah, his King would do. And actually Jesus, the most faithful person who's ever walked, has absolutely zero faith for things that God has not promised. 
See, true faith is believing for precisely those things that God has promised us in his word and not for anything else. This is how we need to understand what Jesus then says in verse 22. See, the prayer requests that we are guaranteed to receive are prayers that are prayed for believing what God has promised. Have a look. If you believe, i.e. if you have the faith in God's promises, which I've just been talking about, which I've just been demonstrating, then when you are praying in belief, in faith, in clinging on to something God has promised you, then you don't need to doubt because God has promised it, you will receive it. Nothing more, nothing less. Now, just a little to illustrate. I've got a coffee. Charlotte. Did you drink coffee? Oh, who drinks coffee? Who drinks coffee? Come on. Hi. Hi, Mike. I've got you in. Um, and I'm just going to read it. I'll give it to you in a sec. Uh, so I've got a coffee voucher here. It's, uh, it says, this voucher entitles the bearer to a lifetime supply of free coffees at Trinity Church. Everyone give me a round of applause. Congratulations. Now, Mike, make sure you don't lose it. It's priceless. Um, you, you show that to the coffee team and they'll give you a free coffee uh, every Sunday for the rest of your life. Uh, now... Here's a question. If Mike takes that voucher to the hospitality team and asks for a coffee, can he be confident, can he trust, can he not doubt that he will receive one? Yes. Yes. Because he'd be trusting the promise that I gave him. And they're always free anyway, so it's kind of useless. <laughs> but what if, what if Mike took that and tried to use it for something other than the coffees I promised? Imagine he took it over to the coffee booth and, and, and said, can I please have a holiday to Cairns or a new phone? Well, could he have faith and confidence that he would receive what he asked for? No, because it's not what was promised. He's not at that point trusting me. He's trusting something he's imagined. It'd be the same if he took that down to Saison and tried to get a coffee there. No, it's, it's, no. that would be false and misplaced faith. Mike has no right to expect anything other than a free coffee from Trinity Church Mount Barker. No more, no less. And you know, when we try and pray and claim and believe for things that are not things that God has said in his word, this is what I am doing and what I will do, we can ask for things. We can ask for loads of things. We don't know if God's going to heal someone before they die. They might not be healed until the resurrection. We know they will be healed. It might not be in this life. We can ask all sorts of good things and we pray, knowing that our God is good and just and faithful and generous. But the only things we can pray knowing for certain that he will answer are the things that he's told us he will answer. Which is why Jesus says, when he teaches his disciples and us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. His name will be hallowed. Your kingdom come. His kingdom will come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray those prayers with full confidence knowing 
they will, without a doubt, come true. That mountain will be thrown into the sea when he returns on the last day. So, Jesus makes uh, no bones about it. Uh, in the fig tree and the mountain, he shows that Israel will be judged for its faithlessness. But what does that faithlessness look like? We come to point to the prophet and the prostitutes showing us what true fruit really is. All right, back in Matthew chapter 21, verse 23. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. Now remember, this is just the day after he was in the temple courts, turning over the tables and driving out the money changers and all those people who were doing things they shouldn't have been doing. And so the elders and the chief priests of the people came to him and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Now there's Jesus, come on, the temple's our jurisdiction. Teaching people about God is our gig. Who gave you the right to come in here and tell us we've got it wrong? But Jesus knew they didn't really care about a true answer. He knew they didn't want to believe. He knew they didn't care where the authority came from. They just knew it undermined theirs. Have a look at verse 24. All right, you want to know? I'll ask you a question. If you answer me, I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? So John was a special messenger, a forerunner that God had promised he would send. In his prophets, he'd promised. And then he came to get ready to make way for the coming of the Lord, the coming of the promised king, the coming of Jesus. John was a weird guy who hung in the desert. He wore itchy clothes. He ate insects and honey. Uh, and all the people knew he is a prophet from God. There's no doubt about it. But actually the chief priests, the teachers of people, the religious leaders, they refused to accept John. They stood at a distance and said, this weirdo is not one of us. And so Jesus here, the Old Testament promises guy, is talking to these chief priests and elders who are supposed to be Old Testament promises people. And he points to the guy who everyone can see is clearly the forerunner that the Old Testament talked about, who was coming to make way for the coming Lord. And they know full well that John was saying, actually, Jesus is the guy. So Jesus links himself and his authority to the authority of John, who is obviously a prophet of God. Because it means that if John really is a prophet of God, well, then Jesus really is the Messiah. He really is their Lord and God and King, and he really does have authority to do anything that he chooses in God's house and in God's people. And the chief priests know it. They recognise exactly what Jesus is saying here. Have a look, second part of verse 25. They went and discussed it among, them, among themselves. Hang on, if, if we say that John's authority is from heaven, he'll say, well, why didn't you believe him? But if we say John's authority is just of human origin, 
then, well, the people are going to riot because they know he's a prophet. (laughs) What are we going to do? I know what, let's just tell him we don't know. Isn't that that a tragedy? They even discuss among themselves. There's not a third option here. John either had authority from God or he didn't. They're more afraid of the people than they are of God. See, they could see. They could see all the proof that John really was the guy that the Old Testament had talked about. He had turned the hearts of the people back to God, back to repentance, just like the prophets had promised. And they could see that Jesus really was fulfilling the promises of the Old Testament made about the Messiah. They had seen him make the lame walk in front of their own eyes. They'd seen him make the blind see, the dead raised. They'd heard his call to repentance, but they had refused to believe. Well, actually, back in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist had called them vipers. He told them, listen to this. He said, you vipers, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You leaders have no fruit, no repentance, no faith. You will be destroyed like that fig tree. Now I wonder if at that very moment they realised that they were fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. Because at that very moment they were the ones that had been promised, the leaders who would reject Jesus and murder the Messiah. Just like in Jeremiah 8, where God had foretold that the nation of Israel would choose lies rather than the truth, would reject all the prophets and all God's commands, refuse to repent, be a withered fig tree with no fruit, says Jeremiah. And God had promised he would send, listen to this, venomous vipers among his people as judgment. These learning leaders are like a son, says Jesus in the next little story, who says, yes, yes, I'll do that, and does nothing. And they have no place in God's kingdom. But Jesus says those with true fruit do. Have a look at verse 31. Jesus said to them, I tell you, those people you think are the filthiest sinners on the planet, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, They are entering the kingdom ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. Even after you saw them turn, you did not believe. Now here's the good news of the gospel, isn't it? Good news of the gospel, that even those who were born into the people of Israel Those who did not accept him are thrown out. Those who were not, those who were outside, those who had no part in God's people are brought in by faith, by the fruit of repenting and believing that Jesus is the King and Messiah whose death deals with our sin, whose open invitation to make us righteous and forgive us and take all our sin away and bring us into his kingdom. 
to know that we can grab that with certainty because he has promised it. And now we come to our final section. Uh, I'll move through this a bit quicker. The farmers and the stone crushed and replaced. Um, well, SA has, I don't, know, I don't know if you know this, but in other states, it's an unfair reputation, but South Australia has a reputation as the murder capital, the murder state. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah. Uh, it's actually not fair. We don't have any more murders per capita than anywhere else, but for some reason we seem to have kind of more interesting ones or <laughs> gruesome ones. So we can probably kind of imagine this playing out in real life. Uh, let's retell this parable. Uh, the Coopers family, they hire a new CEO, and the CEO and the Coopers family kind of come to loggerheads about how things are done around the brewery. And uh, the CEO hires bikies to kind of chase the lawyers away and threaten their families to try and, you know, say, take over control. And, and uh, eventually one of the Coopers family members comes to the brewery to, for a face-to-face, and two weeks later no one's seen him. Uh, the police go to investigate... And eventually they find uh, some surveillance footage of the CEO whacking him over the head with a long neck of pale ale and stuffing him in a vat full of yeast and hops. And it makes front page news, you know, like it's, you know, and, and you think, how ridiculous, right? As if you'd think you could get away with that. You know, it's so high profile, it's, you know, there's CCTV everywhere. How, how could they imagine they would ever get away with it? Well, Jesus likens the chief priests and the elders and the leaders of the people, including the Pharisees and the Sadducees, to a foolish murderer like that, grabbing for power, even killing the master of the vineyard's own son. But how crazy is that when the owner of the vineyard is the almighty Lord of all creation, who sees and knows everything. How crazy that you would look his own son in the face and shout, crucify him and condemn him to death and think you could get away with that. Well, at the end of the parable, Jesus asked the leaders what the vineyard owner would do to those murdering farmers and actually their own lips condemn them. Have a look at verse 40. When the vineyard owner comes, what will he do? Asked Jesus. They say he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him a share of his share of the crop at harvest time. And Jesus says, You're actually exactly right. So what on earth are you doing? I look at verse 42. He says, Guys, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected? You guys are the builders. The prophet said you would reject the stone, the one who God would make the cornerstone, the foundation of his kingdom. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done its marvellous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Well, Jesus here is actually quoting the exact same psalm that the people had shouted as he entered Jerusalem the very day before. Psalm 118. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. 
The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. It is marvellous in our eyes. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God. He's made his face shine upon us with boughs in hand, branches. Join in the festal procession. You are my God. I will praise you. You are my God. I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. I just want to add a little hope and a little warning. Those who do produce the fruit of repentance and faith are brought in. But if you haven't joined in that celebration, in welcoming Jesus in, you'll find yourself like those wicked leaders of Israel, thrown out of the vineyard and brought to a wretched end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your love that by your Son you have invited and welcomed us in and that we can know for certain we can hold on to those promises that you will bring us into your kingdom, that you will come and establish Jerusalem as the centre of the earth, that you will come and live with your people and get rid of all evil, all wickedness, all corrupt leadership. And Lord, we pray that you would produce in us the fruit of faith and repentance. Amen.